All right, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Okay, we will be examining verse 14 this morning. So far, in this second letter to Timothy, in chapter one, we have seen that there are five major directives. We've covered four to this point. In verse six, we saw the first one, uh, the minister, right? So if you're gonna be a minister, here's the directive. Stir up the gift of God. Don't forget that. The second directive in verse eight, to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And then number three, but be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Last week we saw number four. You know, in verse 12, Paul knew in whom and what he believed. He had certainty. In verse 12 he says, I suffer for the which cause I suffer. I also suffer, I suffer these things. What things? Well, those things in verse eight, right? The testimony of the Lord, his gospel ministry, the afflictions of the gospel, the suffering that came with that. Because I'm faithful to the faith, because I'm faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm suffering as a result, Paul says. He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't trust in his works, he didn't trust in what he could do, who he was in the flesh. His faith and trust was in the person of Christ alone and that's how it works. So this next directive, the last one from last week was verse 13. Directive number four, hold fast the form of sound words. Paul says, I discipled you, I trained you up in correct doctrine, I established you in the faith. So hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So the picture that we saw last week, verse 12, you need to know in whom you believe and then verse 13, you need to know what you believe. And so that is the big question. Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you've been born again? If you're here this morning and you're thinking that your right works, I love the testimony of our brother being baptized. He thought, well, this, this obedience is gonna fill me with the Spirit. It's not through the works of righteousness that we have done. That's not how we get saved. It's through the finished work of Christ at Calvary. He did the right work that satisfied the righteousness of Almighty God, that satisfied his wrath over our sin. Do you know that you've been born again? Do you know that you're saved? If so, if you placed your faith and trust in him, well, do you know what you believe? Have you been discipled? Do you know that, I mean, God gave us his word he gave this book to you. You're responsible to know it. I mean, Almighty God has a message for you and you don't take that serious? Oh, what a horrible, horrible thing to, to consider that we just, we, we pay lip service to Bible study. We pay lip service to good doctrine. Oh yeah, yeah, that's important. But then we never give ourselves to it. Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe it? One day you will stand before Almighty God and you're gonna give an account for what you did with this book. You're gonna answer, you're gonna answer for your response to this book. Do you know, do you know his word? Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe it? And then today we're gonna to see the fifth and final directive from this chapter, it's here in verse 14. Verse 14 says, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name and Lord, just ask for your help. 
Uh, Lord, I pray that first of all, you'd help me. I'm, the record's clear. I'm a man of stumbling lips. And I'm just gifted and talented enough to confuse everyone. And that would be poor representation of your word. Lord, again, I'm trusting that you would take the weakness of my flesh, that you'd set that aside. This, our simpleness as children, Lord, that you would overcome it. And that, Lord, you through the power of your word and your Holy Spirit, that you'd just drive your, worm, your word home into our hearts. And that we'd recognize the call that you have on our life. Lord, help us to glorify you. You're worthy. You deserve, all the, you deserve all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. And as a result, you deserve the whole of our life dedicated into your service. And so, Lord, we need your help. And we trust you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the command is to keep the good thing. So get this down in your notes. Point number one, there is a trust that we must keep. There was a deposit that was made in the life of Timothy that has to be kept Look at that phrase in verse 14. The good thing, the thing which was committed unto thee. Good is the descriptor. The thing that is committed unto him, okay, that comes from a word meaning, literally it means entrusted deposit. There's an entrusted deposit that was made in Timothy. Uh, The same word is used in verse 12 in the phrase, that which I have committed unto him. Paul had an, an, an entrusted deposit Right, something that he entrusted with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same word. So that thing that was entrusted to you, keep. That good thing that was committed to you, keep. That word keep is the same word, keep, in verse 12. I am persuaded that he, Jesus, is able to keep what I entrusted to him, that entrusted deposit, my soul, my life, who I am, my very being, right? What I've committed to him, he's able to keep it. Here's the key. Jesus, in verse 12, do we believe that he's able to keep what we've entrusted to him? Did you ever surrender your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you ever recognize you're a sinner and that sin separates you from Almighty God? And that God loves you, he's not willing that you perish, but your sin demands judgment and so Christ came The Son of God became your sin and mine on the cross of Calvary. He took it all to Calvary. And he suffered the wrath of Almighty God over our wickedness, our hate, our lust, our evil speaking. All of it. He took it all. And the Lord says that God reckoned him to be your sin and mine. Okay, so you heard the gospel, the good news, that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. And you had to have come to a place in your life where you decided, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Uh, the wages of my sin is death. But I believe you love me. I believe that Christ died for me. He died for my sin. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And at some point, you cried out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he did. <laughs> what did you do? You humbled yourself and you gave your life to Christ. And then he turned right around and he gave you his. So at what, you know, do you believe that Christ is able to keep what you've entrusted to him? Well, if you do, you need to return the favor. Get this down in your notes. This is your next couple blanks. We must likewise follow Christ's example. Jesus is able to keep what we committed to him. We better keep what he committed to us. Okay, so this begs the question, what is the serving child of God to keep? What's the good thing that's committed to us? Uh, turn back a few pages in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11. 
Uh, we're going to see a, a, a very short but very clear pattern here. Verse 11, Paul says, according to the glorious gospel, the blessed, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The gospel, right, the faith in Jesus Christ, the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, this was committed to me. It was committed to my trust. Now, if you go to the end of 1 Timothy, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse 20. Paul passes it on, this trust. Here's the charge. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. What? Well, the glorious gospel, that's what. We gotta keep the main thing the main thing, and he warns him against that. Avoid, right, what? Avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some, some professing have erred concerning the faith. There it is again. They've erred concerning the faith. The main thing isn't the main thing anymore. They're, they're down all kinds of crazy rabbit trails, and they've missed out on the fact that they're called as ministers of reconciliation. They've been entrusted with the glorious gospel and they're off on these side agendas, these side campaigns, and they're not actually functioning in the mission that God called them to as believers in Jesus Christ. Timothy was given a grave responsibility. Get this down in your notes. The glorious gospel had been committed to Timothy, and as such, he is to keep the faith. He is to stay on target to not get sidelined, he is to pass that on, and that's what we'll see actually uh, in the next chapter here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Timothy, just like you and I, he was given a grave responsibility that he, just like we, are to undertake. He was to serve, he was to serve as an ambassador of Christ. The glorious gospel had, committed, had been committed into his trust so he can what, know it and believe on it and then just keep it to himself? No, Christ came to die for sinners and guess what? The whole world is full of sinners in need of a savior. And so that glorious gospel that's been entrusted to us, we're responsible to communicate it, we're responsible to proclaim it, we're responsible to preach the gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Timothy, just like Paul, just like you, just like me, is to serve as an ambassador of Christ. Here's the condition to be an ambassador for Christ, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Did you know you're a new creature? You ever think of yourself as a creature? Most people don't, but you are, you're a creature. Look around, room's full of new creatures in Christ, okay? Uh, for John chapter three describes it as being born again, right? It's new life. He's a new creature, your old life, old things are, are, are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us, right, he hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, how'd that work? Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And just like Jesus did it, he passes that work onto us, right? He finishes the provision, right? He, fi he finishes the work in terms of provision at the cross of Calvary. It's the finished work of Christ. 
that satisfies the wrath of God, the judgment of God over our sin. Okay, now we are to communicate that, the grace of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're to communicate that to the lost world. So he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. So just like God, through Christ, reconciles the lost world to himself, so also we, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. The glorious gospel has been committed to our trust and so we have to proclaim it. The lost world desperately needs it. I hope you can see it. The fate of the entire world is hanging in the balance that Christians would be faithful to preach the gospel. I mean, there are souls, eternal souls, hanging in the balance and they'll either be gloriously saved forever or burning in hell forever. Lost forever. Lost in part based on what we do with the gospel. Saved in part based on what we do with the glorious gospel that's been committed to our trust. This is why we have to hold fast the form of sound words. We can't have, we can't have a bunch of ministers, you know, literally ambassadors for Christ, ministers of the glorious gospel who are uncertain as to what the truth is. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and we need to be bought in. We need to be fully convinced. This is why you have to do the work yourself. I mean, we're here to teach you, but you've got to be a Berean. What does the Bible say? Do you know what God is saying to you? Do you know why you believe what you believe? You've got to be all in because the lost world needs to see your certainty. They need to know that you have the word of God. And then you have to keep that good thing, the glorious gospel that's been committed to your trust. Why? Because this week, you're going to come in contact with lost people, people whose very souls are depending on you, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching it in, in the faith and love that's in Christ Jesus. They need to see that. Now, the lost world, they don't, many times, they don't want to hear the truth. Many times, the lost world, because it's uncomfortable to be confronted with the fact of our sin, a lot of times the lost world wants to shut you down on communicating God's truth. They'll want you to not, they'll want you to not preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, they don't want you offending anyone with your preaching. And so, you know, growing ministers, you'll be called, you'll be called on to do weddings and funerals and baccalaureates and, and uh, every once in a while you're gonna run into someone that's gonna say, um, hey, let's go easy on the whole sin and gospel stuff, blood of Jesus stuff. That's gonna offend people and, and they're gonna want you to tone it down, right? They're gonna want you to simmer down now. And uh, you, you better not blow it. You better preach the gospel because this is the only shot that you'll have at a room full of people that desperately need to hear it. I mean, at the end of the day, you are a sinner. The wages of sin is death. Christ died for sinners, and all who believe on and receive Jesus are saved from sin, death, and the judgment of God. You better communicate that, because people desperately need to hear it. I tell Pete, whenever I do a wedding, I'll tell the bride, I'll wear wherever you, whatever you want. Um, you, you want me to dress in a zoot suit, I'll do it. Uh, however you want the service to go, I'll, I'll find ways to accommodate you, uh, accommodate you. There's two things that I won't negotiate on, the vows, they have to be biblical. 
uh, biblical vows. Man, people, they want to write their own vows. That's fine as long as they're biblical. Um, but, you know, I went to a wedding recently where uh, the, the bride and the groom wrote their own vows, and the groom actually did not vow one thing to his bride. I'm like, well, I see how that thing's going to end. I'll wear what you want. The service can look. It can be anything that you want, but we're going to get the vows right, and uh, I'm going to preach the gospel to whoever comes. And if that isn't gonna work, I'm not your guy. Just go to the justice of the peace, you can get married there. My first message, uh, I told this story a few years back, my first message, I'm on my first mission trip to Romania. And for whatever reason, the pastor there loved me and he wanted me to minister. And, and, uh, uh, and uh, an old great grandma died in the church there in Romania. And uh, he wanted me to preach the funeral. Well, I've never preached a message before in my life. I, you know, I, I got ready for that trip. I knew how to teach four of the lessons, how to teach. I had a teaching on how to teach four of the lessons. That's what I went to Romania with. And uh, I did a lot of studying and a lot of sermon prep in Romania. <laughs> I mean, I got very little sleep. It's a good thing I was young. And uh, he says, I want you to preach this funeral. Now, here, here's, he says, Sam, here's what you need to know. Uh, this is a mafia family, and these guys are dangerous. They kill people. He says, but, you know, Grandma was a believer, and we want her whole family to hear the gospel. And so here I am, <laughs> my very first message. It's a funeral. I'm like, what does that say about whatever kind of ministry I'm going to have, you know, <laughs> preaching a funeral? And I'm standing, I mean, there's a dead body wrapped in cloth laying at my feet with a hole. Hole in the ground, dead body, me. And then everybody is standing except for the family and they're on folding chairs and they're looking at me like this. You know, just boring holes through me. I gotta tell you, I'm 21 years old at the time. I was quaking a little bit and uh, you know, it would have been easier just to preach some kind of hope-filled message about how grandma, man, isn't it great that grandma's with the Lord and God is love and, and um, you know, man, you know, let's, uh, let's give thanks for the life of this woman. You know, I could have done something milk toast, but then her sons, her grandsons, her great-grandsons wouldn't have known how desperately, how desperately they needed the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? They wouldn't understand their need of a savior. And I thought, well, okay, my first message may be my last. <laughs> and I was a little trembly. But I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. And here's the bad news. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. People need to hear the hope, the good news of the gospel. It's such a grave responsibility. So how do I do that? How do I keep that directive? How do I keep that good thing that's been committed to me? How do I be faithful with the charge that's been entrusted to me? Okay, just skip up to verse 13 again. Look at how verse 13 ends. How did we hold fast the form of sound words? Last time we saw it was in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. I mean, here's the bottom line. You can't, you're not gonna be able to effectively hold fast the form of sound words. You're not gonna be able to do it in the power of your flesh. 
you'll fail and you'll end up turning people off. You'll actually, if you do it, if you're trying to keep, if you're trying to hold fast, if you're trying to properly communicate sound doctrine in the power and the strength of your flesh, you will end up very quickly despising people that don't and your preaching will, I mean, one of two things will happen. You'll either chicken out and you'll go along to get along doctrinally or you'll end up a bully. You know, bullies. I mean, they'll say crazy things like, you lost scumbag. You'll never know God until you read about him in a King James Bible. Okay, well, that's not contending for the faith. Right, that's not love, that's just mean and dumb. In Christ Jesus, though, there is faith and love. Whenever you have truth and you see people that don't, your heart is broken for them. Your heart is full of compassion for them to know the truth of God's word. And so in the faith and love that is in Christ alone, his heart, his life, his love for people is manifest. And people see the love, the person, the reality of Christ in you. The tools that you need to reach out to people in the most difficult times, everything that you need to stand in the midst of direst straits, not the rock band, but just difficult times. Paul knew what he believed and so he kept the faith. He wasn't ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was willing to suffer as an evildoer. He kept the faith and he wanted Timothy to come to the same conclusion in verses 13 and 14 here in 2 Timothy chapter one. Now we're gonna talk about how verse 14 is to be kept specifically. Okay, if we're gonna do well with what's been entrusted to us, we're gonna see it's by the Holy Ghost. But first, I want you to note that there's a danger. I mean, there's a danger of not keeping the faith. It's a very real danger. So point number two, there are those that are turned away. And Paul says as much in verse 15. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. They didn't keep what was committed to them. They cut and run, right? They gave up on the mission and they followed an easier path. Man, the life of an ambassador of Christ, the life of a minister of the gospel, it's too tough. We keep getting in trouble with authorities. We keep ending up dealing with beatings and stonings and jailings and you know Paul's path, his example was too hard for them and so they walked away from the life of ministry that they were called to. They didn't finish well. They went along to get along. So this is key, growing leaders. You just need to know this. Know that if you keep the faith, you're gonna lose some that you're leading. Some that you're leading, they will, you know, They won't endure suffering. They won't endure hardship. They won't endure the, the world, the world system, the society that they live in. They won't endure them being despised by that, um, by this, this lost world. They won't. Uh, some will, like Demas, will leave because they love the world. They don't actually love the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's gonna happen. People get upset, they get discouraged, or they get scared. And instead of following faith, they flake. And you just need to know that's very discouraging as a leader. Lord knows I've lost count how many times people that I've invested in, poured my life into, uh, went off into the world to live just like the rest of the lost world around them. You know, it's, it can be discouraging. And you just need to know up front that it's gonna happen. If it happened to the Apostle Paul, it's gonna happen to you. People that should know better, they're not gonna do well. 
And again, this is why our faith and love in Jesus is so critical. It'll keep you from being overly discouraged because for every person that flakes, for every, well right here we've got a ratio, don't we? For every two people that flake, there is an Onesiphorus. Right, look at verse 15, or verse 16. Faith and love, you know, that's what kept Onesiphorus on target when all Asia was turned away from Paul and his principles, the, 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 the glorious gospel ministry that he had. They're walking away, but not, not Onesiphorus. Look at verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Watch this, verse 17, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. He went out of his way to encourage me in my trial and my trouble. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. We talked about this principle in our recent Jude series. You know, the believer in Jesus Christ no longer needs mercy for salvation, right? We already have God's mercy. So why is Paul praying that Onesiphus would find mercy of the Lord in that day, right? I mean, how does a, I mean, if we've already got the mercy of God, how does the age of grace believer find something that they've already found? I mean, church age saints already have the mercy of God for salvation the moment they trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And the cross-reference that we looked at, Ephesians chapter two, watch this now, verse four says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Okay, well what did that love and mercy look like? Verse five says, even when we were dead in sins, God, right, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, as believers, we don't look anymore for mercy unto eternal life. Praise the Lord, we have it. Right, the the mercy of God was shown to us because we were sinners and God saved us. We already have it. But don't miss how this does apply to the church today. Here's a great example of the believer continuing in need of the grace, the mercy of God. Verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, why? Because of his service. He oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. So for the believer, once you're saved, God's mercy in your life is no longer connected. The, the, the mercy, let me put it this way, you had the mercy of God at salvation, now the mercy of God as it continues, it's not for salvation anymore, because you already have that, What is it now? It is mercy for reward, for blessing, for profiting in your service to him. Do you see that? God grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Why? Because of his service. So God's mercy is not related to eternal life for the believer. They've already got that mercy. It's related for continuing service. Why? Well, looking for the mercy of God keeps us Right, it keeps an outward focus related to our future. We know that the judgment seat of Christ is coming. And a focus on the return of Christ and the fact that he comes to reward his servants, that will keep us living so as to position us to receive mercy in that day. Mercy at the judgment seat of Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we believers, right, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive, in the, may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Everybody appears before the judgment seat of Christ and you're gonna receive reward or loss depending on what you did with what was entrusted to you. 1 Corinthians 3, you have a work. Your life is producing something and the judgment seat of Christ will make it manifest. The day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And here are the two sorts. If any man's work abide, which hath built thereon, thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Um, we covered this cross-reference in the lecture in Matthew in the Bible Institute yesterday, and I told them, I'll tell you, uh, this is why you know, some people get to heaven smelling like hell, <laughs> you know? I mean, everything that they've done in their life here on earth, their life in Christ, they just invested it on themselves, building a life for themselves in this world. And that doesn't go on into eternity. It's the gold, the silver, the precious stones that continue, right? Your relationship with God through his word, the redemption reality, this new life that you have in Christ, what did you do with it? You know, precious stones, that pictures the, life, the lives of believers, okay? We are living stones, the Bible says. And so that's why you'll hear us say this a lot in, in this church. Uh, the only two things that last forever are the word of God and the souls of men, and if you're gonna be wise, you'll invest the one into the other, right? Your relationship with God through your salvation and through the word of God, you wanna invest that into the souls of men and women. That is a work that will last forever. Onesiphorus knew that, and so he was all about God's children. He was all about God's minister. He had the faith and love in Jesus Christ and he could keep the faith with Paul and he was willing to partake of the fellowship, right, the suffering that comes with service to Christ. And what an incredible ministry that he had. You don't think that Paul wasn't discouraged in just a, a horrible condition, his imprisonment this time. It wasn't like what you read about at the end of Acts, this second imprisonment. Okay, this is gonna be the end for him. And basically, he's in the hole, okay? He is in a difficult situation, and everybody's forsaken him. And then here comes faithful Onesiphorus. Man, brother, I love you. I'm so grateful for how God has used you. Uh, here's something that's actually good to eat. <laughs> like, he, he came to encourage him. He found this man that's suffering for his faithful service to the Lord, and he just went to be with him to encourage him, to thank him for his faithfulness. Man, what an encouragement that is for the Apostle Paul. I think about our brothers and sisters, you know, pastors in India that are suffering horrifically. What are the things that we can do to write to them, to send to them, to be with them, to encourage them, that they're not alone, that we're there, we're praying for them. Uh, when we send teams, we want to go and we want to encourage those who are suffering for their faith. Here's the question, do you have faith? Or is your life filled with doubt? Do you have the love of Christ? Or is it empty? 
I just want to invite you, if, you're, if, if, if you look, if you just stop and take stock of your life, like what's it producing, what, what's coming out of it, and if you're saying, I'm tired of living a purposeless existence, well then first of all, make sure you're in Christ, and then secondly, make sure that everything that you're doing, everything that you have, it's all aimed at service to him. Man, you get in Christ, you have everything you could ever possibly need in this life or the next to come. Now look at, I mean, just look at, look at 2 Timothy chapter one. I mean, just read that this week. Look at everything that you have in Christ just on this one page in your Bible. Colossians 3.11 says that Christ is all. Christ is all. Man, ain't that the truth? He's everything. When you see who you are and what you have in the person of Jesus Christ, you can hold fast the form of sound words. You can do it in the faith and love that is in Jesus Christ. But in verse 14, what's been entrusted in you, you'll be faithful to discharge it. You'll, you'll be faithful in your service over it. Why? How do you keep, look at verse 14. How do you keep the good thing? How do you guard and share the glorious gospel that's been committed to your trust? How do you do it? It's not a rhetorical question. How? Yeah. It's by the Holy Ghost. He indwells you. He empowers you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have him in your life. You say, but I can't feel him. That's okay. You can know that he's there because your Bible says it's so. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? So many Christians, they'll live like the lost because they forgot that the Holy Ghost is in them. They end up grieving him because they drag him around in their mess. No, he's in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. You don't belong to you. You belong to him. So here's the key. You cannot, you will not, you'll never be able to keep the faith in the power of the flesh. If you're gonna just try to produce a right outcome through your intellect, your willpower, your determination, uh, the flesh is weak. That'll come to nothing. Romans 8 verse 13 gives the principle. It says, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. The flesh, man, the old man, he's dead already and everything he's gonna produce is just death. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. That's the principle. And so when you come in contact with people, you've been entrusted with the glorious gospel. There's a faith that has been entrusted to you. What are you gonna do with it? I come into contact with people. Paul, what he's saying to Timothy is you're gonna find yourself in situations when it'll be just much easier to pander to people instead of preaching the glorious gospel to them. It'll just be easier to, you'll be tempted to just go along to get along. And you're only able to respond faithfully in those situations. You can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Anything that is of eternal worth, it's accomplished by means of his holy power. I'll give you an example of how this works. This is a worst case scenario uh, of how this could work in the life of the believer. Uh, turn to Acts chapter seven, verse 54. Here's Stephen. Man, something beautiful, something great has been entrusted to him. He has been entrusted the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and now he has an opportunity to preach it to the religious rulers of Israel. 
And so he does, man. I mean, it is, it is a fireball of a sermon. He's preaching in Acts chapter seven. I mean, he is just, I mean, he cuts loose and lets it rip. And he just, I mean, <laughs> he basically called them out on their sin. And they heard him, they understood it. And look at how the congregation responded in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But look at him, how was he able to do this? How is he able to face his own martyrdom? Look at verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, right? What's verse 14 say? That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. He preaches the truth. He doesn't go along to get along. He just lays out the word of God. And they hate him for it. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He, in the faith and love that is in Jesus Christ, what does he do? He, he, he declares him. Verse 56, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They stoned him to death. But there it is. I mean, you don't think that Stephen didn't know that his life was forfeit that day? If they didn't repent, what's the message that he's, like you kill the prophets. This is what you do. You, you, I mean, people come with a, a, God loves you, he's got a message for you, and instead of receiving it, you kill the messenger. That's what you, that's what you do. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's, he's got one more shot. He's gonna, this is his shot, he's gonna take it. I'm gonna preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and let the chips fall where they may. And they're killing them, and he stays steadfast. You know, you're gonna encounter the lost and the hopeless this week. You ought to just get over the idea of your own death. This is, I mean, the, statistically, you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost this week. Are you gonna be stoned to death? Statistically, is that gonna happen? Now watch, it could happen, but I'm just saying, statistically, is it gonna happen? I mean, anything's possible, okay? But you ought to just get comfortable with the idea. Let me tell you what will happen. Um, people will be like, would you shut up about, you, you know, basically the response will be, you freak, you're just annoying everybody with your persistent meandering about Jesus and our need for him. Like that's the persecution that you and I face. Let me pull out my air quotes. That's the persecution that you and I face today. And I get it, we wanna be sensitive. If you have to preach the gospel at someone, you're actually not, doing very well with the gospel, okay? You're probably working to immunize them against the gospel. This is why Paul prayed, you know, he wanted us to pray, he wanted the church to pray for open doors for the gospel, right? You wanna preach the gospel to people that will hear it, that will receive it. Now sometimes, I mean, you just take your shot, but I mean, you know, what, what are we trusting the Lord for? We're trusting the Lord for open doors so that we're preaching the gospel to people that are listening, they actually hear and understand it. And prayerfully, by the grace of God, we'll receive it, okay? So I get it, we don't, we wanna be careful, we wanna make sure that we're not preaching at people, but we're preaching to them. Uh, but even with that, people will be offended. They'll hear you, they'll understand. Yo, you're saying I'm a sinner. You're saying my sin is so bad, I'm, I'm a good person. Why would a good and loving God ever send me 
to hell over my sin. That just doesn't make any sense. And they'll be offended at what you say. And they'll reject you because of the message that God gave you. Will you respond in the power of the flesh? Romans 8, 13 says the results are death. Or will you rely on the Spirit of God that the Bible says indwells you if you're saved? Check out Romans 8, verse verse 11. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive, your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The lost world needs to see people that aren't afraid to die, they're already dead. The lost world needs to see people that are full of the faith and love that is in Jesus Christ, that are convinced. When the the lost world is saying the gospel is stupid, you're saying, no it's not, it's changed my life. It's transformed me, God saved me. I know him, he's in my life, he's alive and he loves you. The lost world needs to see Stephen full of faith and the Holy Ghost. God help us. We're so worried about rejection. We're so, you, you ought to just get comfortable with the idea of rejection. You ought to get comfortable with the idea of your death. Man, contemplate it. Get used to it. I mean, we're all gonna cross over, aren't we? If you're young, you're like, I'm uh, not even thinking about the end of my life. Young people die all the time. I mean, it just happens all the time. Statistically though, you're gonna make it to 70 or 80 years of age. That's what's gonna happen statistically. That will be here tomorrow, okay? Just a few months ago, like, okay, a few years ago. It wasn't that long ago. I'm in junior high, I'm on the school bus, and I'm like, I'm never gonna graduate from this hellhole that we call public education. Oh God, help me to survive. I mean, how am I ever gonna get, like, this is never gonna happen. Turned around twice, I graduated high school, I go to college, this is a lot of work, getting an engineering degree. Oh God, deliver me, this is gonna take forever. I mean, turn around once, and, I'm, and I've graduated from college, and I'm never gonna get married. <laughs> like, I'll never hear daddy, I'll like, I'll, man, what? Turn around, I mean, then you get, turn, get turned around, and the next thing I know, I'm married, and, and uh, we're not in a hurry to have kids, and there's some miscarriages, and then Sophie comes along, and then Sam and Seth, and, and it's like, man, what, what in the world happened? And that now it's like, it's gonna, what a chore, raising these kids. They're such hard work. I mean, I, we're gonna make it, you know, and that kind of thing. Boom, kids are all grown, and, and uh, now the grandbabies are on the way, praise the Lord. Um, If the Lord tarries, I'll hear grandpa. I mean, you know, like, what I'm telling you is it won't be long and you'll be holding a memorial service for me. And I gotta tell you, if the Lord tarries, that's what's gonna happen. And there's a part of me that can't wait to cross over out of everything in my life. Like, I, man, the rapture's gonna be cool. That's the, that's the minority position in heaven. How did, how did you come into glory? Trumpet. Ooh, cool. Yeah, very cool. That's pretty sweet. Um, But to have Jesus take you by the hand and walk you through the valley of the shadow of death, to go from this, and I know it's death, death statistically hurts. In some cases, it's agonizing. It's horrific. And there's grace for all of it. And to cross over and be with Jesus. That is like the greatest trip that anybody can ever take.
man, don't be afraid. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ or not? Don't be afraid of your mortality. Don't be afraid of that. And don't be afraid of rejection by the world when you're a savior, when the living God himself loves you and he entrusted something to you, something precious. You have the glorious gospel. It's good news. We were supposed to have uh, invites for you, but they had the wrong time on them. <laughs> and so we'll have new invitations coming. Uh, we'll have them this Tuesday. Be here this Tuesday night. We're gonna pray for the lost to hear the gospel this Christmas season, right? We want that. We wanna hear, or we wanna pray that the lost would hear the good news. And so we'll have invites, Lord willing, invitations for you uh, this Tuesday night at the prayer meeting. You wanna give those out. Statistically, Christmas and Easter are the times that you can get the people that will never come to church. You'll invite them, but they're like, they got something better to do. But Christmas and Easter, for whatever reason, statistically, you've got a better shot at getting them here. We'll have two services on Christmas Eve. We'll have the 10 o'clock morning service, just one service, uh, and then we'll have the uh, uh, candlelight Christmas Eve version of it uh, that, 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 that same night, Sunday night. All right. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that it pleased God to use you. And you know who you are. You're just exactly like 1 Corinthians chapter 1 describes you. Weak and foolish. The world despises you. But it pleases God to use you to do his mighty works. And that can happen only one way. You gotta, you gotta commit to walking in the spirit. We'll see what that looks like in chapter two, right? You gotta commit to walking in his spirit. Will you trust God to use you instead of trying to do good things for God by your own design, by the power of your own flesh, by your own willing obedience? Okay, that's not how God is pleased. He's pleased by working in and through you. Now, obedience is critical, okay? There's no question about that. But if it's the flesh that's performing, it won't last. It will fail. But if it's the spirit that's working through you, well, that will produce new life. Zechariah 4, 6 says, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Would you come to a place where you'd say, Lord, I want you to work through me. So help me, God, by the power of your indwelling spirit, I'll keep the faith. I'll be faithful to steward the gospel for your glory. Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name, and I pray for my brothers and sisters, and I'm asking, Lord, would you bless them? Lord, would you, you've entrusted something very precious to every believer in this room, the glorious gospel. There is a, a, there, there, the, the faith that you've given us, everything from salvation to how that salvation works out in our sanctification, Lord, all of these things, it's beautiful. Lord, thank you for the faith that you've given us. Lord, we wanna be good stewards of it. And so we stand here a people confessing that if we're hardworking, we're clever, we do everything technically right, but if it's by our wisdom, our might, our power, it won't produce anything. God, we're a people that you saved, that you set apart to yourself. Thank you. Lord, you must use us for your glory and so help us, God, by the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit. Bless my brothers and sisters to keep the faith, to faithfully discharge what you've entrusted to them. Make them effective ambassadors for you. 
Lord, if there's any here today that do not know that they're saved, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, help them to come and be clear on the terms of the gospel and submit themselves and believe on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Or talk to the person that brought them to have a conversation about what it means to truly be saved, to be born again according to scripture. God, you do all things well. We trust you. Lord, we trust you. I I know that the spirit of the age today, it's all about people living for themselves in the world and and the church is just very Laodicean in its mentality today, but there can be exceptions and Lord, we're trusting that that would be the case at MBT, that we'd be a people full of faith that you'd use for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.